Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm joined today by Dean McGrand. Dean is from the South East um, Irish Palestinian Solidarity Campaign and is also um, a Clonmel representative for Sinn Féin um, in the local area. And today we're going to be doing a special on Palestine. And Dean himself has recently been to travel to Palestine and seen firsthand some of the oppression that the Palestinian people are facing. And I hope that the discussions today through the experiences that he tells you about the learnings that he experienced will inspire you to continue to learn more about the history and the current realities and obviously motivate you then to take action but just to kind of from the outset to say like you know this year's marked the 75th anniversary since the NAPCA um, of 1948 and that's when the Israeli Matilias forced over 75% of the Palestinian population out of their homes in order to steal their land and to actually found the Israeli state. But closer to, to this year, um, even this month alone, um, we're really seeing the impact of the Israeli um, military. Um, just at the start of June, we've seen two journalists shot dead, which is a war crime in itself. And even today, I'm reading more about journalists being shot at. Um, and then uh, people might have been might have seen being shared around as well that a two year old was killed by the Israeli soldiers, um, which was actually the twentieth child this year that has been killed by the Israeli state. Um, and obviously, there's been lots more people who have been killed, injured, families being displaced, and homes destroyed. Um, and there's been so so much more impact um, to the complete apartheid that is happening right now in Palestine. So, Dean, um, would you like to chat to us a little bit about your experience and like how you went about how you ended up going to Palestine in the first place? Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me, Michelle, you know, and it's great to be able to speak about it and be able to talk uh, openly about the situation in Palestine. And obviously, look, as you you said at the outset, I'm a member of the Irish-Palestine Solidarity Campaign in the Southeast. So for your listeners who might not be familiar, the Civil Society NGO, it's a lobby group that promotes, uh, I suppose, Palestinian human rights. And indeed, uh, like it calls out the oppression of the Israeli apartheid regime. So from my point of view, um, joining the branch, obviously, South Tipperary, Kilkenny, uh, Wexford and Waterford make up the southeast branch area. Uh, so if anyone is listening to this that are interested, there's branches all across the 32 counties of Ireland. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, let that put you off. If you want to join the southeast branch and you're like from Cork, you can certainly like do that. Like you get a bit of slagging, which would be all right. Like, you know, um, really, um, I got involved with that particular group um, and it was through the southeast IPSC that I ended up going on the trip. I, I got involved in the group for kind of a, a number of reasons. Uh, I suppose being uh, from South Tipperary, uh, the Knockmill Down Mountains was the effective end of the Irish Civil War. So General Liam Lynch, who was the anti-treaty uh, chief of staff of the IRA in 1923, he, the monument where to mark is the spot where he died, um, and the sorry, he was shot and later died. Uh, it's about as the crow flies, maybe about five miles from my house. So it was a quite a Republican area in many ways. Um, in terms of just having that bit of local history and stuff. And when obviously you grow up around that local history and you learn about, you know, generally Lynch, you learn about the Civil War, you learn about the Tan War, you learn about uh, oppression, imperialism um, and colonialism. Um, how couldn't you identify with the Palestinian struggle would be my contention. So ultimately, 
that's that's it. We I got involved with my local branch, and there's a fair few of them from Waterford. Uh, once you don't talk about hurling, nobody gets hit <laughs> or punched or anything like that. So it's you know it, it, it it's all very camaraderie. But we do stalls across the four counties, and through that and through learning, um, I thought I had a good handle on it from reading. But when you talk to there's a number of people in in Waterford and across Wexford, I've talked to about you know who have actually been there. And I just said, God, it's a, like a different level of understanding past the academic stuff. So uh, I said, when the trip came up uh, through kind of, I suppose we, it was advertised through our branch, I, I jumped at it. Um, myself and um, another member from uh, Port Law in uh, in Waterford is Ben Duggan. If he's uh, if he's listening, like, you know, he'd be a bit of crack with Ben as well. But uh, we ended up being part of that delegation and flying from uh, Dublin to Tel Aviv and into the occupied territory staying in Betla. So that's how I ended up going. And did you have uh, any issues actually traveling? Because um, I know sometimes, um, particularly if someone with an Irish passport with, uh, with a bit of political background would raise a few flags um, when trying to actually get in or out for that matter. Um, I suppose I, I heard enough from people that would have had issues um, and I kind of obviously when you're going over there and it doesn't matter how well versed you are, you're going into occupied territory or, you know, you've got a lot of preconceived notions in your own head about what it's going to be like. And um, you probably everyone feels when they're, when I'm going to airport security to go anywhere, I feel like I'm going to be pulled out of line and I haven't done anything. Do you know what I mean? So like I generally there's just that level mm. of I think as well. Um, so when when I went over, I have to say, once we landed in, um, we, we had a connecting flight. So we flew from Dublin to um to Turkey to Istanbul and we changed and we went to Tel Aviv then now mm. I suppose we we got quite decent instructions before we went and about what we were to kind of what we were to talk about and generally talking about this if you're telling them what you're actually doing you might have um some uh mm. you might have some discomfort you know generally um we went in um and I I sailed through. I didn't have any issues really traveling in at all. I did have when I was coming out, but that's a different, I suppose that's a different thing. But certainly going in, there was very, very little issues. It was very well organized. Uh, the group met, the coach uh, picked us up at, at a collection point, which was pre-arranged. Uh, as far as we could see, there was nobody uh, had any issues kind of getting over, you know, no more than the usual airport issues. But also you wouldn't exactly be carrying around the Palestinian flag in your bag or you'd be going with your BDS, you know, wristbands or anything. You know, you have to be a box a small bit clever like. But uh, no, we, we I, I got on up fairly OK, you know. Yeah, interesting enough. I I went to Palestine a number of years ago, um, and I was with someone um who uh, grew up in Northern Ireland and had um a surname that the airport security there um assumed was actually an old Arab name, and it was actually an old Irish name. And right. he had a bit of a tough questioning, but uh, once they figured out that all of his uh his dad and his granddad and his his great granddad all had very Irish names, I think they um. I think they gave up on that line of questioning, but that's great to hear. What kind of agenda um, did you um, do, Dean, when you were over there? Um, what were you, what were you, what were you um, visiting, or what? Who did you see, or what did you do? Um, like we we went to Bethlehem, we flew in kind of. So we had a kind of a pre-arranged agenda, and we had bus trips and stuff like that. Like we, it was generally just kind of civil society groups. So uh, in terms of human rights, there was a. It was nice. There was kind of Al Haq, which is quite a well-known organization. So again, it's it's very, very prominent in, in terms of a civil society body in Palestine that calls out uh the oppression of the Palestinian people and attempts to chart, you know, it's 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 calling out the you know the complicity of 
a lot of Western nations in relation to that and the hypocrisy of it. And um, we we various different human rights groups. We actually went to the to Palestine Spinning Institute of Biodiversity as well, which is really interesting because again, when you go in, I'm expecting it's all going to be, you know, kind of human rights talking about the occupation, resisting the occupation, X, Y, and Z. And, and it was that. But there's also resistance by rewilding areas of Etlehem of growing plants of growing different vegetables of and like the, the professor museum who actually came to watch for a few weeks ago he was very keen to stress that resistance isn't just through you know it's not through armed struggle or necessarily political action but he was growing he he wanted to make the myth that that you hear bandied around the anti you know palestinian anti-arab myth that asher the israelis uh you know they, they were the break they made the desert bloom um, and all of this crap that was uh, issued by Ursula von der Leyen, it, it's absolutely when you see the level of what they what this guy got to grow in the conditions he had, it's incredible. And it's not just olive trees; it's all different types of uh, all different types of plants um, in terms of nurturing animals and stuff. And it was basically he said, "This is my way of saying that." Um, he said, "No, no," he said, "Oh, Palestinians can." Can we're, we're not this this stereotype that is bandied about that we've had this for generations and centuries before uh, this occupation occurred, and we're not going to feed into that type of uh, that type of um, I, I, I suppose you know you know it's like an agenda based kind of uh, rhetoric that people come out with mm-hmm. because it suits them. But to see like bits of Palestinian agriculture, obviously coming from South Tips or farming is huge, like you know. But seeing that like the Palestinians farmed the land, they honed mm-hmm. the land. They were productive on the land. They produced food. They produced plants. They mm. produced olive trees. Like all of this stuff that gets completely not talked about enough. Because again, the, the Western stereotype is, well, sure, you know, Israel brought democracy to the Middle East and they made the desert bloom, which is utter rubbish on both counts. And it's it's quite it's totally anti-Palestinian, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's uh, quite humanizing actually to hear about that because you know the Palestinian people are more than these oppressed occupied people. Like obviously that that's that that they are being occupied there and under apartheid state. Um, but they, it is really humanizing to kind of hear you know those other initiatives that are happening outside of everything that we just hear in the news and like you know that wider. And I think it's important as well, like to actually acknowledge that you know they they do have like daily lives where they have celebration joy um you know interests hobbies and all of that outside of all of this i think sometimes that's that can be like you know easy to forget when all of we're hearing is about the horrendous atrocities that are happening Mm. um um, to them by the israelis um military so yeah that that thank that's that's really good to hear um dean was there anything else interesting that um you you uh, saw when you're over there loads like um like bethlehem obviously in terms of a you know, I'm not any bit, I'm not any bit religious, but I grew up a Catholic. Do you know what I mean? So in terms of just even when you're listening, you're like, that's actually where Jesus was born. Or, you know, like it's, it is kind of like, oh, mother God, like, you know, this isn't, this isn't just reading it in the Bible. Like we went past the old King Herod, who was this horrible figure in the Bible. And we went past his palace and I was like, oh yeah, that was Herod's palace. I was like, oh, so Herod actually existed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Insofar as that, like it's, it's, it's mental. So we went to, um, 
we, we didn't just stay in Bethlehem. We, we we toured around the place. So we went to Ramallah, which is the civic capital. And obviously, you know, we got the twinning over the line. Um, well, I say when I say we, I say the the fantastic work of the twinning committee, which yourself was involved with as well, and David Rees was the chair of it. Um, so and so just so just to explain to our listeners, um, Washford City Council has uh, recently passed a motion um, to twin Washford City with the Ramallah City, um, yeah. and the idea is it's a kind of a cultural. Uh, twinning um and uh, sports twinning and all, everything so that there's loads of cultural links been built up between the two cities and already there's talks of like exchanges between the two cities of sports organizations particularly boxing um mm. kind of like other community groups uh trade union groups are also going to be in exchange and um, so that's something that's that's i guess an active way that we're trying to build solidarity between um, Waterford and palestine and maybe it's an idea for other people to do similar within their own local county councils but that's great that you got to visit that um that local municipality oh municipality area um and experience that for yourself because obviously we'll, we'll be in touch a lot more with um the people living there and building um community links with them yeah and and it was it was a fantastic city i think it was marked a lot more it was much more of a civic place you know so like there was yasser arafat's tomb obviously yes arafat was the uh the leader of PLO and a symbol of Palestinian resistance. Now his legacy is debated um, quite frequently. Um, but uh, for him, um, like seeing obviously seeing the tomb, seeing where he would have stayed, you know what I mean. Um, seeing the Palestinian, you know, a lot of Palestinian buildings uh, in that in Ramallah was very interesting. Uh, Hebron was really interesting as well. Uh, Hebron then is a different city, so. Hebron is a completely um it's just under siege like do you know what I mean it's it, it that was the most difficult part of probably the entire journey was going to Hebron because Hebron is actually so we went and we were toured the old market so like you know most like European Middle East there's the old architecture the narrow streets there was a fantastic Palestinian market um throughout the uh throughout the the old town of um of Hebron and like it was again very Palestinian now very you know like flags and stuff all over the place um and we went up to this mosque so this is uh so it's called the Ibrahim mosque so the the prophet Abraham so is that kind of you know for Muslims obviously very very uh, a seminal figure in their religion for Christians you know um, mm -hmm. huge huge figure as well so it's a site of holy pilgrimage as well now again it was also the site where um uh a Zionist extremist from America called Baruch Goldstein um murdered dozens of people in that mosque when they were praying um so for us we got to go in there um and we got to i suppose our guide was very clear about how the market there's so many of the streets and in that market the palestinians have left the mark the palestinians have left because of i suppose harassment from settlers from soldiers and uh, they they feel like they're being pushed out they're feeling like okay this isn't safe anymore and mm. um, so when the call to prayer was on on one point. And as I said, I'm not any bit religious, um, but the call to prayer was on and we were just down a little bit from the Ibrahim Mosque. And just to explain, the mosque is actually split. So it, one side of it's a synagogue for the Jews, which it, there is a quite a lot of Israeli settlers uh, that are in Hebron. And it's a pure interface area, kind of reminiscent of like the Falls and Shankill Roads areas in Belfast, to be honest with you, a little bit in terms of just walls dividing the people. Um, but obviously the call to prayer is sounding out of one side and there was a, a extremist um, Zionist driving around in a car with a speaker strapped to the top of it, blaring out music um, 
over to try and drown out the call to prayer with a beautiful rifle sitting in the passenger seat with him and just driving around and doing circles of circles. So there's a particular road in Hebron. And I would have talked about it before. I'm not sure like that. Basically, there's two. There's like a fork in the road. And there's a graveyard. So as a European, I can walk down that road, that particular road, and get from one point to the other. I can pass off the Israeli checkpoint, and I can go down to the bottom of the road where there's another checkpoint. Um, but if you're a Palestinian or if you're Arab, you are sent down road number two. So the soldiers say, sorry, I can't. So our guide were like, if you want to go and see that graveyard, that's okay. But we'll have to go around the long way to get to the same destination. So just in the road system, it was apartheid in terms of, okay, sorry, you're Palestinian. You have to go this way, but you're European, proceed straight on. So they have, so the Palestinians essentially have to go on a much longer journey to get to the same place. And again, it's a type of control. But this Zionist um, who was in the car drove up and down that road freely. And you saw he he was, you know, giving it to the Israeli soldiers, soldiers and the Israeli soldiers were kind of saying, well, kind of almost like I couldn't understand the language, but they were giving them thumbs up and stuff like that. So as the Palestinians were not even able to walk down the road, they had to go around. And the graveyard then um, is another issue because the graveyard, of course, is um, and I would think this is completely inflammatory, right, because it's a graveyard for Palestinians, but it's completely surrounded by Israeli flags and check poles on, on flagpoles. So like even when you're trying to bury your dead, <laughs> you're, the, you know, the, you're, you're not allowed to have a Palestinian flag or fly a Palestinian flag from those poles. And um, so Hebron was a real, um, that was a real eye opener, like, you know, mm. as to, like, because to be fair, like prior to get to Hebron, yeah, it was, look, it was bad, but it was just so, it wasn't as blatant, shall we say, like it was really, yeah. really bad. And I'm not trying to dismiss anywhere else, but it was so blatant for us to see it in Hebron that we were able to do so much that people that are born and raised in that city aren't able to do by the mm. virtue of their, you know, of their Palestinian birth, whether they're Christian or Muslim, it doesn't matter. They're treated the same way. Um, yeah, it was real. Uh, it was a shocking experience, but it was um, it was sobering as well, like because it. In I, I don't mean this in a perverse way. If you don't see that, you don't really know. Because when you see it, and I was stuck to the blood, my two feet were stuck to the bloody ground. And I, 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 I even, Jesus, I can't again. It chilled down my spine. I just, oh, it's sick in my stomach. Like it really, really did. Just how blatant the discrimination was. I was yeah. shocked and I shouldn't have been. Jesus, I was shocked. Yeah. 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 And did you get to talk to any of uh, the Palestinian people about any like kind of further discrimination that they're experiencing that maybe wider than what you would have seen like oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think it was just in terms of, I suppose, the settlements are the hot topic. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People evicted from the land. Um, and we were talking to people who were obviously uh, displaced, as you referenced at the start of the um, in, in the neck, but as you referenced at the start of the interview, obviously, it's 75 years. So uh, we, we we were in a refugee camp um, in, um, the name escapes me now, in Bethlehem. I'll, I'll think of it in a second because it's fantastic. Uh, Ada camp, because uh, their soccer club is Ada Celtic, of course. You know what I mean? So massive Irish connection in there in terms of what we've been doing. Um, you know, but talking to people that had never been to the villages where they were from, you know, where their grandparents and great-grandparents in some cases, great great grandparents were evicted from 
and mm. to create a state for uh, to create the state of Israel. Um, so the but these people talked about their villages and their homes in a way that it was obvious that it was it could only have been passed around through um through actually hearing about it and they could describe things vividly even though there hadn't been a chance in hell that they were ever there based on the restriction of moving placement by the mm. Israelis, you know so talking to them about it, it it was like an open wound it was like this wound goes through generations and for the people there very very proud now there are fantastic practices all very serious you know we're talking about that we were great crack like you know but um it was so real for them in terms mm. of just freedom of movement then obviously you have the the checkpoints um as you're going from uh, uh, there's a famous i think it's checkpoint 17 i'll have to check that uh but uh, this is and i would have referenced this in the talk when i when when i came back so in between obviously bethlehem is palestinian's own land they've it's becoming a prison camp because they've built the border wall the full way around it and their settlers you can see obviously the difference in terms of the settlements in terms of their 24 7 water supply and that the palestinians have to hoard water so they have water tankers you can generally tell even when you're going into jerusalem because the areas are quite close together the ones mm. with the water tankers are palestinian areas because they're the ones that have to hoard the water because they don't have 24 7 access and um, so that was kind of a I suppose just a visual way to without yeah. Going. So there's there's a apartheid through the water system as through well the then as system. well like yeah. they control the water um so that yeah. don't have access in the same way that as you say the settlements um and the occupied territories uh, would in the same way yeah they, they do and I suppose all the settlements also have that um have that water do you know what I mean mm. um so obviously uh just just talking about check points and all the rest of it like there's massive checks for Palestinians going through um quite heavy handed checks and there's all and, and for us not so much like you know like it wasn't particularly pleasant but where are they from the ireland what are they doing their tours okay grand work away do you know what i mean like like the difference in how palestinians you know were lining up in areas and you saw there was maybe 10 or 15 palestinians at a line at once uh, in mm-hmm. one lane and we were kind of you know we were we were lined up but we were moving an awful lot more quick you know uh, and we got through and there was no, there was just lads, okay, right, where are the tourists? Fine, okay, no bother, on you go, you know, and then you see lads going to work or Palestinians going to work or whatever, like, uh, I, I, like, and they're taking so long. So there was one incident from the tour bus, which I saw, and I would have described it at a meeting when we came back as well, that um, there was a girl who, uh, she, she was a Muslim girl and, I like, a student, obviously, with a, backpack on her head but she had been taken into a room by two israeli uh, soldiers of the israeli border force so obviously and i oh, it was shocked because obviously look israel have i think it, i don't know is it mandatory the um the military service i think it might be but they're very very young and um, hmm. so so these were two maybe 20 year old israeli soldiers and then one 20 year old palestinian and then two more uh, israeli soldiers so they were obviously interrogating her and they were giving her quite a hard time um and it, it was very unpleasant to look at, um, you know what I mean? And then it just escalated insofar as they put her spread eagle up against the wall. They kicked her two heels, you know, like she wasn't resisting, shall we say. She was talking to them and they were saying whatever. Like we couldn't hear them, but they put her up against the wall. They kicked her two heels apart and they pressed her head with the, obviously she had a headscarf on her and they pressed her head into the wall and they were laughing their heads off. And chewing, chewing them up in her face and forcing her to spin around. And then they tell her, okay, you can go. Then another soldier said, stop, go, stop. 
go, you know, and it was just, it was like, you could see she was getting really, really upset, you know, and really, really, and I was like, Christ almighty, like the only difference between the two years, you're Israelis and your uh, and your soldiers, and that's about that's a Palestinian girl who's just, who was obviously trying to go to school or go to work. I, I, hmm. You know what I mean? Like, God almighty, like wh- what are we doing? So, like, I suppose we can talk about the structural stuff around uh, around all of that, but they were just some of the experiences that kind of highlighted the levels of discrimination. You know? Um, yeah, there's no humanity there. Like those soldiers obviously weren't viewing her as a, a person of equal. You know that the, you know right. that kind of level of treatment. Um, and is there that that's absolutely shocking? Um, and I, I know you've told me this before, Dean. So maybe it would be even more shocking for our listeners, like to hear that that's just common practice that you just happened to stumble upon while you were there. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. like the lived reality for people that are there you know, that live there all of the time. Like this is obviously something that they probably see all the time and be- nearly become desensitized to this. But like, as as we know, like the, there is lots of people who are campaigning against this mm-hmm. kind of treatment. And I suppose talking about it and raising awareness to wider audiences as well as part of, which is an important part of you coming back from that trip too. And I guess mm-hmm. that's why we're chatting to you today as well. So that people are aware of like, you know, when we're talking about, you might hear in the news that someone, when someone has died and unfortunately that happens far too reg- regularly we hear of murders um happening in palestine by the israeli state but there is like so much more impact outside of those ha- catching headlines that is happening the daily day day to day and how people experience their lives um i just don't think it's like you know it's it's it's, it's very hard to comprehend the impact of apartheid on people's day-to-day lives but i guess is there anything else there that you'd like to chat to, to mention about that 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 you would have seen that would have um, impacted people yeah, um, like again, it's just talking about um, just the difference in terms of right to return. You know what I mean? Um, like, look, the UN has condemned it. Like, the Palestinians have a right to go back to their land. Like, do you know what I mean? So basically, for for listeners who may not know, that if you're Jewish, you can claim citizenship in the state of Israel tomorrow. No, no problem. But for people who may have been expelled and Palestinians who were born in the land. Um, who may be in refugee camps in maybe Lebanon or um, further afield in Europe or in the US, they, they they can't claim those same rights. So that's been widely condemned as a apartheid law. Do you know what I mean? Like that that's different laws for different people um, based on your race or ethnicity. Um, in terms of the expansion of settlements, I suppose that is the uh, people may have seen the graphic, which just shows the continued expansion since 67 into Palestinian um, areas, which while the two-state solution was obviously, in terms of the Oslo Accords, was a noble ambition at the time, by um, it, it's like the Israelis have just continued to expand these settlements in terms of evicting people. Like obviously in East Jerusalem, like you can see in terms of Sheikh Jarrah, in terms of the clashes around the Alaska mosque, stuff like that, you can see that homes are that are zoned Palestinian land under international law are completely being circumvented by uh, Israeli planning decisions where the military seem to have a veto uh, over, okay, right, there's a settler that needs to go there. That's grand. So we'll, uh, we'll demolish this house and this Palestinian needs to move. So like for, for, for that, that was, that was pretty shocking as well. Like we spoke to so many different people that raised the, the I suppose, the killing of uh, Shireen Abu Akhla as a journalist as well, that obviously in fairness to the, um, the apartheid regime they investigate and surprise surprised they didn't do anything wrong but um look that's uh are we really surprised you know and let for us um just being there and again it's a whistle stop tour and i didn't want to talk about the big the big stuff insofar as it's nice to talk about um olive trees 
and agriculture mm. and let, let's make these people human because like in terms of the occupation the the effect is to dehumanize palestinians and dehuman and in fact and then let's call someone um an anti-semite so that they don't speak up against mm. it against the policies of the israeli state um let's equate you know uh palestinian let's call it a conflict because obviously that's two equal sides knocking seven bills a shite out of each other and sure that's completely okay like do you know what i mean whereas you're saying that this is the fourth largest military superpower with nuclear weapons in the middle east that is completely um again disproportionately bombing you know civilian infrastructure in gaza as if that suits them um you know um I think in terms of what they do in the occupied territories in the West Bank, it's these raids, it's shooting, it's like the S- like these the SAS must have thought these lads all they know because it is a shoot to kill or shoot to maim policy. And in terms of uh, just being a social worker, interestingly, um, there's a whole there's a whole psychosocial element to it that there's actually uh, people trying to. Um, provide sorry, psychosocial and you know support to families that mm. have loved ones in prison um and i i think for people um in ireland and certainly for those of a republican persuasion or um or nationalist persuasion they would be in you know familiar with internment without trial like you know in my view we have internment in ireland at the moment anyway um i think um like in terms of direct provision and stuff like that like it that that you look I, I could have that debate all day but in terms of administrative detention is what they call it in uh, in palestine so you have people like literally lifted for they don't tell them and they can keep extending their stay and keep extending their say there's people in administrative detention for months and years and it's children as well as that you know what i mean and one of the main things i think people um which i got out of this particular project in um in bethlehem was that we're trying to intervene to stop young people going down the road of radicalization, whether that, you know, in terms mm. of, uh, you know, they were trying to stop that. If you create the situation, it's happening. If you're lighting the fire. So if you're detaining a 12 or 13 year old from one side, mm. they like that boy, um, a particular example that came out, he came out a man. He was forced to evolve. And the only thing that he wanted to do at that particular point was to resist the Israeli yeah. regime by any means necessary. So again, in terms of Hamas and obviously the message that they bring, again, look, I'm a secularist in myself. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But in terms of like, if people want are radicalized, like God almighty, if you're putting up with that, then any time, any type of radicalization, you're prime, you're an absolute prime suspect for it. And in mm. fairness, what do they expect? What 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 did the Israeli what does the Israeli regime, you know, if you batter these people off the streets, if you demolish their homes, if you turn off their water supply, if you kill their children, is it any wonder Palestinians can be radicalized? Is it any wonder yeah. that they might think the likes of Hamas or and any other militant group is a good idea? People have a right to resist who are occupied as well at the same time under international law. And I think for that like for that cohort of young people who are or who feel utterly rudderless because there hasn't been elections in Palestine since the mid 2000s they feel like there's no political traje- trajectory at the moment mm. um in Palestine and they don't feel yeah. representative by the Palestinian authority and that's a number of young people we spoke to they 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 feel unrepresented so any other alternative becomes a, a better option unless 
actually give proper political leadership. And I, I think from the from our point of view as well, from Ireland, we have to be able to say, actually, you know, we, we need this. We, we we need elections. We need democracy. We need, you know, because it's a stick they're going to beat us with. You know what I mean? And you also have to respect democracy. And whether if someone agrees with the Hamas or Fatah or whatever, if they... In terms of their democratic mandate, the people give them a mandate. That's a very, very different thing, and that is democracy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you have to, you have to kind of be able to not cherry pick or see these things as a totally simplistic, um, which I think in the West, um, because for various reasons of the, the US relationship, the British relationship, all of this type of stuff, like the British want to wash their hands of their responsibility on this because they don't want to acknowledge. Under the British, that they gave land to yeah. people without any any um, interest about what would happen to people that had lived on that land for generations and generations. And just to be clear, that Jews, um, that Jews, Muslims, that there and Christians had lived in relative relative peace prior, and that this, I suppose, extremist ideology of it's going to be a you know a jewish state for a jewish people like we've been i suppose we've seen that in the north a protestant state for a protestant people like where did that leave people that were catholic or atheists mm. or are you out you know are you not accepted by that state like many people that i know from belfast were born into a state that didn't want them and what palestinians now feel is they were born into a state that didn't want them and yeah in any case the, the, like where are we going in terms of their human rights in that regard you know like there has to be a way forward where we can ask for a defining peace to respect people's human rights but as long as israel and the israeli government because as many israelis and left-wing uh, people from israel that i've spoken to that are completely against the opposition mm. are, are completely against what's going on in terms of the far-right government currently in in the state and they're quite again quite you know vocal about it you know like you've you've massively a a large Hasidic community Jewish Vice for Peace and other various different organizations in the UK and others that have been totally demonized because they've spoken out about the treatment of Palestinians yeah Um, I think that is the most dangerous type of speech killing you know like okay right we, we we can't say anything against that just say nothing keep saying nothing these are our friends in the Middle East and we need them there because it uh, advances our geopolitical interests and the Palestinians are the casualty and they're the victims of the victims of history. Yeah. Um, and we've seen we've seen that that kind of um, Israel lobby group actually actively attack anyone who speaks up about this, as you said, like calls them anti-Semite or, you know, with, you know, uh, demands apologies as if whatever, you know, uh, like for, for things that, you know, for example, like BDS and such like that. And maybe we, we'll talk a little bit about that because we're maybe I yeah. think we're moving into that. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, what listeners can do, because obviously people might be feeling, you know, fairly hor- horrified by some of the things that you saw. And I hope again that, the, you know, that you're only kind of scratching the surface on a lot of these things and the experience that you said but as you said there's a lot of reading to be done on this as well like learning about the history and learning about the wider um Palestinian society and everything as well um but when it comes to if listeners today want to take an action what can they do if people are passionate about I, I suppose like it's anti-apartheid okay um and Ireland obviously we led the way through the trade union movement in the late 80s um, which ended up going the trade union movement and the Industrial Relations Act. That's a different debate. But um, 
for us as people that were colonized, that were victims of settler colonialism, um, our voices are different because we're not guilty people. We're not people who've been guilty because of our colonial past. As some people, some Europeans may feel that, oh God, what, what have we done? We need to make this right. We're calling this out because we know what it's like. We know we have seen it. We are still occupied. We still have a, an amount of our uh, country that, again, it's British state infrastructure, and um, it's a part of our island. So if if and we've had gone through horrible, bloody conflicts, but we've made peace. So if we can do that and we can say that throughout all those experiences, that something about our outlook and what we that we can call this out and we can say, hang on now a second. This is oppression, modern day imperialism, settler colonialism, and we are not going to be complicit by silent by being silent. And the Irish state, uh, in terms of what we can do, people say, what can Ireland do insofar as it's almost a denigration of it? You know, like like we're a small country, what can we do? Jesus Christ almighty, we're a, a quite an influential country for our size. And for us to be able to pass laws like the Occupied Territories Bill, which would limit, you know, like um, trade, um, which would make any goods that originate in the Occupied Territories, which we deem illegal ourselves to, de- to, to not trade. That's a huge thing. Join the Ireland-Palestine mm. Solidarity Campaign. Lobby your local TDs on Palestinian rights issues. There's a currently a bill before the door laid by Sinn Féin's, um, John Brady did a heap of work on it, but it's calling on the Irish International Strategic Investment Fund, and I always get that wrong, but I got it right, I think. You, you can correct. You can correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, in calling them to divest in companies that operate out of mm. the territories, it's such a moderate bill, but in, the, in terms of, okay, well, Ireland views this as de facto annexation, de facto colonisation and fragmentation of a national sovereignty sovereign territory of Palestinians, right? So we're not going to give them any money, especially not Irish taxpayers. I think that's a very, very moderate position, but it'll be called out as an extremist position, as saying that it's anti-Semitic position, as saying that it's an anti-Israel position. Mm. It's anti-Israeli occupation. It doesn't have anything to do with the ordinary people of Israel. And that's the long and the short of it. And I think that particular bill that's going through the doll, if people could get onto their policymakers, because I think what would send, rather than if it was a doll majority, mm. I think what would send a huge message is that if every party, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, again, like Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, Social Democrats, Labour, whatever you have in yourself, Alphabet Soup of Independence, whatever, you know, vote for it and show that we are united in terms of asking, in terms of we will not see anybody financially benefiting from the occupation and war crimes carried out by an apartheid mm. regime. In ter- joining the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign, wherever you are in our 32 counties, um, you become involved in debate, you meet some great people. It's a bit of crack, to be fair. Um, it's not all that serious. We, you make great people share massive experiences. Yeah, and I there is so there is socials where you get to try great. amazing Palestinian food and snacks. Oh, Jez, the food is great. Like Jesus, film like, and arts yeah. and all of that as well. I think it's, it's important to say, stuff. you like, know, it's, it's it, it, and it's not just because again, let's not dehumanize Palestinians by yeah. constantly. It's occupation, and there's nothing more than an occupation. There's so much more to the beautiful yeah. depth and love of the people of Palestine. Then their occupation. 
Yeah, and, and just to say as well that there is Palestinian people in Ireland and they're in our communities as well and building solidarity with them too. Often through the, the um, Irish-Palestinian campaign themselves and the branches and stuff is important. Um, and as you say, to, to humanise people and get to know people in that way. Um, and I think that might be everything, Dean. That's been a really great um, overview of everything. Unless there's anything else you'd like to add before I close it off. One one little thing, and I just want to add it because I, I listened to Michael Gove, that fantastic bastion of Tory austerity in the UK. He was on uh, Sky News over the weekend. And I just I, I highlighted, highlighted just because they are planning on passing a law, develop a law that would tie local councils in the UK into foreign policy. So the national parliament will get to set the foreign policy and any motions such as solidarity with Palestine or solidarity with Sudan would not be permitted to be tabled by the councils because it would contravene UK national policy. So this is what we're saying in terms of the creep. So whether the democratically elected, um, because the likes of the twinning of Watford and Ramallah, that wouldn't have happened if these types of laws were in place. Um, And now while our position is much softer towards and in fairness look in terms of let's call it a spade a spade regardless of what we think of the Irish government Ireland is way ahead of the curve in terms of calling it out in the European level than any other European state yeah, and that's just yeah. the reality of it but I would that's just a little bit if people don't know about that uh, I would look up look into that law Michael Gove specifically re- referenced anti-semitism and BDS in the same sentence um, because he's full of shite but again if he wants to be a racist complicit um, to- part of the Tory machine that denigrates Palestinian rights mm. that's absolutely his business but we have to be aware of these type of moves internationally because it's something yeah. that we really need to be organized against you know yeah and unfortunately we often copy a lot of what Britain does so hopefully this isn't one of those things because as you say it's that that whole move to try and silence people from talking about Palestine and trying to you know campaign for um campaign for the the rights of Palestinian people and against the apartheid state Dean, that's been great. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And of course, if anyone else is interested in in actually maybe attending a trip like that, get involved in the Irish-Palestinian Solidarity Campaign because I think they run a couple of times a year, uh, potentially. Um, But thank you again for your time. And this has been The Week at Work, a special one on Palestine. Um, And I've been Michelle Byrne. And thank you so much to Dean McGrath um, from Tipperary for coming in to chat about us this evening. Um, We will uh, be back with you again. Thank you.